Hey everybody, Melissa Guzman, episode two of Insight Flow Media, and I have my very good friend Tatiana here. I call her Tot, and I've invited her to podcast with me today. Say hi, Tot. Hi, good morning. So, um, I thought it would be really fun because we have super fun conversations to do a podcast and uh, talk a little bit about our relationship and a little bit about you. For sure. So I didn't tell you much about what the podcast is about because I wanted our conversation to be organic and not like have someone overthink it ahead of time. Of course. But uh, the podcast goes over lots of different subjects, but I love to talk to people who I think have inspiring stories and paths and uh, that can share a little bit about how they came to be who they are today. So, and you've always been super transparent of a person. It's something that I love and appreciate about you. Oh, thank you. So I just think that you would be a great person to uh, talk on something like this because, you know, a lot of times, like I was telling you, sometimes people are like a little hesitant to be open and transparent about themselves. And, um, you know, the whole idea and concept behind this podcast is to be insightful, um, and kind of expose each other's humanity and who we are. And, um, and just like talk about the takeaways that we have from the things that we've gone through. Awesome. I'm ready. Yeah. Good. Awesome. So, um, let me just fix this camera because it's a little, I'm going to do a little bit of that. There we go. So um, I wanted to have you on here. So you are married to one of my best friends that I've known since I was 13 years old. Yes. Uh, and I, that's how I met you. And I've been thrilled to know you ever since we met. So um, something that we've kind of made a tradition is sleepovers. Yes. So, bringing it back. Yes. And so you come out, you get your hair done, you sleep over, we hang out. And um, over the years now, you know, I've got to know you so well. You've been um, really, I'd say like open and like just a free loving kind of person. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with your upbringing of being like, you know, a child of, of two hippies living yes. in San Francisco. So can you tell me a little bit about some of your first memories uh, growing up in the city? Yes. So <clears throat> I was born in Berkeley and I was born in a motel. We were staying in a motel because my parents we're homeless, you know? So I was born at home in a motel. And then for the first three three months of my life, we were homeless. Doesn't necessarily mean we were on the streets, right. but we bounced around a lot. Um, and eventually my mom took me um, over to San Francisco where I've been ever since, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I lived with her and she was in her addiction. So there was plenty of moving around, you know. Mm -hmm. And then when I was three, um, CPS was finally called and they took me and placed me in foster care. So I was in foster care for maybe about six to eight months Mm -hmm. before... um, moving to um, a permanent foster home where she later adopted me. Okay. So that's where your mom adopted you? Yes. That's great. So, like, do you remember the day that you got adopted? 
I vaguely do. I have a picture of it with um, my adoptive mom and the judge and me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like recall. Yeah. Yeah. So when you got adopted, how long was it until you saw your parents again? I, um, I mean, I used to go for visitation through a uh, Department of Social Services. Mm-hmm. We did that a few times. Um, we stopped because one time when I was visiting my biological mother, I started crying and saying I wanted my other mother, right. which is my adoptive mother. So at that time, uh, my adoptive mother decided that, you know, to stop it was getting too traumatic and upsetting me yeah it was kind of confusing for you to go back and forth from one lifestyle to another Can you oh speak yeah just a little bit about your adopted mom and like the variance of the kind of lifestyle she was living in contrast to the lifestyle that you were in before she adopted you yeah absolutely <clears throat> excuse me my adoptive mom um adopted me as a single mother Mm -hmm. uh had a steady job she worked for the irs for 35 years um and retired from there bought a house herself you know just super independent super strong never needed a man she had boyfriends while i was growing up but Mm -hmm. it was never I never looked at it as like, oh, you need a man to complete you. You know, that was never the message I was sent. You know, Mm -hmm. she always had a ton of friends, ton of girlfriends, went to various plays, went to book groups, you know, sport groups, everything. You know, so I grew up knowing that you could live a fulfilled life without a husband, without, you know, a man. And um, yeah, it was super steady, Mm -hmm. super stable environment. You know, we found out that I was dyslexic Mm -hmm. when I was eight. And um, my mom, there was a special school in the peninsula for disabled, or excuse me, dyslexic students. Mm -hmm. And my mom went against the San Francisco school board Mm -hmm. to have them fund me for this special school, you know, and she fought the school board Mm -hmm. and, um, got granted, you know, uh, full tuition, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's just who she was as a person. I always say my mom's a gangster. Yeah. (laughs) Because she doesn't take no for an answer. She'll fight for what she believes in. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so, um, yeah, and she really wanted a child and Mm -hmm. she just, she couldn't have one. She had a a marriage when she was in her 20s that unfortunately, um, wasn't a good one so she left right um yeah and having a child was always something she wanted to do mm-hmm. and thought she would do with you know a husband or a boyfriend and then it just never happened right. and when she got to be in her late 30s um you know she tried I guess she tried a sperm bank and by that time she was, you know, of the age where she could no longer get pregnant. Um, And then, yeah, she she went to a program called BOSC to adopt Mm -hmm. where the children are 
taken out of their homes for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. For me, it was because my mom was a substance abuser and I was being neglected. And then they placed the child in a foster home where the foster parent is looking to adopt, Mm -hmm. you know, and the stipulation is if the biological parent gets their stuff together, they can have their child back, but it's unlikely that they would. So my, both of my moms <laughs> had to go to court and, you know, my mom, um, yeah, she had to go to court and fight to, uh, to get me, you know? Right. So your biological mom was trying to take custody, but she still wasn't really in a position that that would be in your best interest. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. She couldn't get clean. She couldn't, um, get a place to live on her own she just wasn't equipped at all right you know right so it it sounds like it was really a blessing for you to have an opportunity to kind of have you know one set of parents to teach you certain values even though they may have had their their hang-ups you know they still were able to you know kind of give you a fundamental of, you know, a freer spirit living and then having um, another set of parents or not set of parents, another parent to teach you more about stability and Mm -hmm. responsibility. And it sounds like a big lesson in selflessness, too, because she wanted to give to a child and, and, you know, share the things that she had worked hard for and accomplished. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, it sounds like such a blessing to have both. Oh, yeah, for sure. I always say that. That, you know, my biology, my biological mother gave me life mm-hmm. and my adoptive mother gave me every opportunity to live that life. You know, yeah. she really, you know, I, there's so much that I've been able to do that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do. Right. You know, we did ballet, we did gymnastics, we did, you know, whatever I was interested in, I was, mm-hmm. you know, given the opportunity to explore that yeah and that's special that's really special that you were able to you know have that kind of loving relationship with your mom I mean she's awesome I mean I could tell that she wanted to you know be there for you in every way yeah Um, yeah so further down the road I mean something that we can relate on well I mean the earlier years I can relate with that you know I had a similar upbringing with my parent I didn't end up getting adopted out but I did have those experiences but in the teen years um, there was some demons that you were fighting through that um, you ended up kind of having to get some help for. I did. I did. Um, Yeah, my life was pretty good until about 12. And then I started having a lot of flashbacks Mm -hmm. of like my earlier life and um, started self-mutilating. Mm-hmm. cutting my arms with um, a shaving razor mm-hmm. as a way of acting out. And then when I got to high school, I started experimenting with drugs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was within eight months that, like, my life had really spiraled down. You know, I started yeah. using crystal meth. And, you know, I, I can't imagine what I put my mom through, you know, the all I know is that she was worried sick and, you know, she started losing a lot of weight and, um, you know, crying all the time and just, um, 
you know, really affected her, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, So then, yeah, when I was 15, I was put in rehab and it was a non-locked facility Mm -hmm. so I could leave anytime I wanted to. But I mean, where was I going to go? You know, Um, so the first nine months I was there, I was just there to make her happy. And I basically went kicking and screaming, you know, Uh, and then, you know, later on into the program, I really embraced it, you know. just because I really needed that outlet, you know, I obviously I came with baggage. Yeah. Um, well, and, and that just goes to show that like when you have traumas when you're younger, you know, even given a more steady, safe place to be, those traumas are embedded in you. Oh, yeah, you know, for sure. Like for the first five years, those are the years that you're picking up and gaining subconscious things and and, you know they definitely will surface eventually and I think that goes for a lot of people just different levels of it for sure but you were able to get some treatment and and kind of address and face a lot of those things yeah I stayed at that treatment center for about 22 months Mm -hmm. um and it was such a blessing, you know. Mm-hmm. I met one of my really, one of my best friends there, you know. Mm-hmm. I've, we've been connected since we were 15. Right. You know, um, yeah, it was really, really good. I feel like I learned a lot of stuff there, you know, just about being a young woman, you know, right. and having integrity and ownership and, um, just had to be a decent human being. Not that my mom didn't teach me that, but I definitely needed more than what she could provide at that time, right. you know? Because she was maybe there to support and to love in that capacity, but maybe didn't know how to to direct like you needed to be and and make you accountable because she was so loving. Sometimes people that are very loving can be a little enabling yes. and not even realize it. Yes, absolutely. You know, but she was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first month, you aren't allowed to like get mail or use the phone or anything, you know, because they mm-hmm. want you to really focus on establishing yourself in the uh the group home rehab um and my mom wrote me a letter every single day when oh, I wow. hit my 30 days yeah I got a huge stack of letters and my counselor was like your mom must really love you I yeah was like, yeah super dedicated does. super dedicated yeah. you know um yeah I feel so blessed she's mm-hmm. always been there she's always been you know in my corner regardless of you know right the situation you know um so she's kind of been a good example of selflessness and caring for others so mm -hmm. when did you start uh getting certified to be a cna so i um i started caregiving i stumbled upon it uh I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to stay clean after my my first rehab attempt. I stayed mm-hmm. clean for about five years, and uh, then I went down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. in my early 20s, from 20 to 24, I think, and everything got so much worse, just like they say, mm-hmm. you know? 
it's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong journey. Yeah, it never really goes sure. away. It's almost like a dog on a leash. Yes. Right? Your dog's on the leash, but sometimes it can get out. You have to stay on top of it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think that I just wasn't done. Mm-hmm. You know, there were so many things I hadn't done because I was young and like, you know, I had never been arrested. I have never gone to juvenile hall. Like I felt like my addiction really wasn't that bad because, you know, there was so many things I had yet to do. And so, yeah, I, I, um, I relapsed when I was 20 and it got really, really bad. And when I was 24, I finally called my mom and I was like, mom, I need to come home. Like I need to get out of this situation. And I had lied to her about how much clean time I had um, because I kicked dope before I called her because I knew if I was addicted and I called her, she would send me back to rehab. Right. Uh, She probably had learned by then what it meant to be codependent Mm -hmm. or, you know, enabling. So she probably knew tough love by that point, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and it was just something I didn't want to do. So I kicked, um, and then I called her, and I said, Mom, I need to come home. So, you know, I was blessed enough to be able to come home, and I was in a bad relationship, so I left that, and I moved home. And I didn't have many job skills, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and I needed to work or do something with myself. So I started volunteering um, just to get something on a resume. Mm -hmm. And I just started applying for everything I thought I might be able to do on Craigslist. So... um, I had applied for a caregiving job, mm-hmm. you know, which is something I never considered I might want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like I'm smart and I'm a fast learner mm-hmm. and I was just so eager to do something, you know, worthwhile and, right. <clears throat> excuse me, accomplish something. Um And so I got called back and I went to the interview and it was a disabled couple. I would be working for the woman. They both had cerebral palsy and, you know, were limited in their abilities to walk and, you know, feed themselves and just like, you know, care for themselves. And so I was super honest in the interview and I said, look, I've never done this before, but you know, I'm a fast learner and I have a really good work ethic. And I made them laugh. I started cracking jokes Mm -hmm. and made them laugh. And as soon as that happened, I just felt like, okay, this might be a good thing, you know? And so I got hired and I was hired as the weekend person, the weekend night person. And so I did that for a few weeks. And then, you know, one of their uh, main support people left. And so Mm -hmm. I was offered the job to go full time. And so I started doing that full time and I just Mm -hmm. fell in love with it, you know? It was so rewarding. It was such a way for me 
you know, regardless of what I was going through or had been through, mm-hmm. I can walk, I can move all my limbs, like I can take care of myself, regardless if I made good choices or not, right. you know? And it just really put into perspective that like my life, regardless of what I've been through is not that, you know, hard, Yeah. you know? And so it really gave me an opportunity to be grateful for what I have, mm-hmm. regardless of, you know, different adversities I might have faced. Absolutely, an opportunity <clears throat> to be selfless and give and get out of your own kind of, I think that people in general, sometimes we get a little self-centered. Oh yeah, absolutely. So sometimes when we can give back or be of service, mm-hmm. it enlightens us to, you know, realize that there's so much more to purpose than just us. Yes. Yes. So, and it really made me feel good, you know, that I was doing something where I was actually helping somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. there was no question about whether or not the work I was doing was affecting somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew firsthand, like what I was doing was making a difference in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. You know, it like my work was a direct result. Mm-hmm. of them being able to live a better life. And so it just gave me so much self-esteem and I just fell in love with it, you know? Yeah. Um, I can be a super organized person, mm-hmm. maybe not in my personal life, <laughs> but... Um, but when it's for someone When else. it's for somebody else, you know, I make lists, I'm very organized, I'm very, you know, like, okay, let's fix this problem, like... Yeah. You know, and so all of those things really came uh, in handy, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I worked with that woman for, um, I think I worked for her for about two years and we had a super good relationship. Um, That's a really tight relationship because is it a full time um, commitment? Yeah. 40 hours a week. Yeah, it was full time one-on-one and um you know there were a few times where she got really sick and so they would call me and be like you need to come here right now can you come Mm -hmm. and you know so so you're dedicating your life oh yeah to another individual absolutely absolutely to help them move to help them eat to help them manage their life and affairs Mm -hmm. so that's a pretty big commitment yeah it was great it was so great and um a lot of people were like, you know, I never thought you would be the caregiving type. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I never thought I would either, you know, right. because again, my own personal life, like, it just doesn't really match up. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I don't seem to have a lot of patience, you know, and the job takes a lot of patience. But right. at the same time, like, it really made me build upon what I might have been lacking, you know, mm-hmm. and giving me that patience and giving me that self-independence, you mm-hmm. know, to figure out various, you know, um, problems. Right. And like you said, self-esteem too. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Really doing things that are esteemable is the best way to build self-esteem, you know, and yeah. you know that giving to somebody who, who really, truly appreciates the efforts that you make and 
helping their life be um, more, you know, productive and effective. You know, I feel like that's a great way to just know that you're making a difference. We can donate to charities all day. Mm -hmm. We can volunteer picking up trash. But is that really, you know, going to affect someone directly? Like you're on a one on one knowing that you're solely, you know, um, really helping this person's life improve. Absolutely. So can you tell me about the accounts and people that you're working with now? Yeah. So right now I'm working through a different organization. I worked for the state for about 10 years and that was a great foot in the door, but the state has a lot of funding issues, you know, and they're just, it's sort of bottom of the barrel, you know, um, which is really unfortunate because it directly affects the clients, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I worked for the state for about 10 years and then I, I moved over to an agency, a nonprofit agency that is funded by Golden Gate Regional Center, Mm -hmm. which is sort of the hub of um, the disabled community and what they're funding and they fund different programs and whatnot. And so... um, So right now I'm working with three different clients Mm -hmm. and they all have the cerebral palsy Mm -hmm. and they all have different limitations. Mm -hmm. I work with an older man who's Mm nonverbal and um, he doesn't have mobility of his arms. Mm -hmm. Um, He can stand enough to pivot towards the toilet Mm -hmm. if I stand him up Um, so he can use you know, the actual toilet. Um, And he's the best good-humored, easygoing man, you know, I've ever met. He's just always in such good spirits and always laughing and, you know. um, And see, that's something that I think makes you have a gift with this kind of work because I don't think many people would be able to connect in those kinds of relationships, you know, and you, something I've always thought was great was that even though, you know, I'm sure you have your hard days working in these conditions, but you, the clients that you have, I mean, someone who's nonverbal, but you, you get from him what a great personality and sense of humor. Absolutely. Other people may not even really be able to gather that Mm -hmm. because they're not able to communicate in that way. So you're really connecting with your clients in a different level and appreciating them for who they are when maybe other people wouldn't even take the time. Right. Absolutely. And he definitely makes his point across Mm -hmm. when he wants something. You know, it's it's a game of 20 questions, you Mm -hmm. know, and usually I'll start with the easy stuff like, do you need to use the restroom? No. Are you hungry? No. You know, and then I'll be like, is it something on your body? You know, right, right. And and just go from there and eventually we'll get it. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of yes and no questions. Mm -hmm. And um, but it's good. I love that he doesn't let up easy. If you Mm -hmm. want something, he will make it known, you know, and uh, we'll try to figure it out together. And sometimes it's hilarious. And sometimes I just am frustrated because I want to give him what he needs, you know, and I'm sure on his end, of course, on his end, I can assume 
that is very frustrating mm-hmm. to have to like you know really try to tell somebody what you need without being able to point yeah. without being able to speak and just having it be like this prolonged guessing game almost you Absolutely. know um so his patience is amazing you know which makes me want to be more patient yeah you know um and the it's almost like because you're my friend and i know you you know your lightheartedness and mm-hmm. sense of humor i'm sure that's reflected too oh absolutely like that with everybody absolutely you know? i and really but- try to um you bring that to the table. Yeah, so, I really try to yeah. keep it fun and I really try to, you know, joke around with them mm-hmm. and be their friends. You know, yeah. if we're out in the community and, um, for example, you know, if I'm meeting somebody, if we're meeting somebody for the first time and they ask me who I am, I always mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm a friend of blah, blah, blah. You right. know, I You're never not like I'm their caregiver. Yeah, I'm no. Here just to assist them. Like, yeah, no, no. They're my friend. They're my friend. Taking care of them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you and know. that's a great perspective on it because you're spending so much time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's business, but you know, I've seen firsthand caregivers that okay, turn down the bed. Okay, there you go, Mister. Blah blah blah. Bye. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you no. know, there's no warmth to it necessarily. Yeah, and that's so not my style. You know, because I see want that these kind of uh, those kinds of caregivers. Too, I do. I'm sure, because I do. Or just doing the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. You know, I recently. Um, had to take some time off because I had some dental issues mm-hmm. and I missed about a week of work, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like that much of a big deal. But mm-hmm. for um, my male client, I guess that somebody wasn't getting his needs met, oh, wow. you know? Mm-hmm. And so when I got back to work, I got this lengthy report about like how my client um, saw this particular caregiver coming mm-hmm. and, you know, started, you know, being very vocal about it. Like upset vocal. Like upset vocal. Like and he didn't want them there. Exactly. Yeah, wow. Exactly. You know, and of course I felt bad, like I should have waited to get mm-hmm. my tooth pulled. But again, if I don't take care of myself, right. like I cannot take care of them and so that really well and it's not your fault that these other people are not they're in this position right and maybe don't take it exactly as, as hard or as seriously when they're taking somebody else's life in their hands exactly so. you know um but that seems to be a balancing act i'm always trying to protect uh yeah. perfect mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um my well well-being versus their well-being yeah. um And I think that just goes with the job, you know? And caregiving in general, whether it's for, you know, your partner, Mm -hmm. your family member, you know, you always have to make sure that you're filling your cup before you go and give to others. Absolutely. But you obviously have so much love to give and so much attention to give, Um, you know, just from that client example. And I know I've heard of other clients too Mm -hmm. and like your relationships with them. Um, You know, it really does take a special person and a special heart to be able to do that. Well, thank you. I mean, I just have such good clients, you know, I feel very fortunate. Not all my clients have been great, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for various reasons. And I get it. Right. You know, um, life is hard and it's hard when you're getting older and it's hard when you're disabled and you feel like your needs aren't getting met. So I try to be very, um, 
not take it personal if mm-hmm. they're mean or you know they're challenging mm-hmm. you know because it's set it's more about them than it is me you yeah. know um i recently had a client actually one of my favorite clients um that i've had uh i've been doing this job now for a long time a very well seasoned um 14 plus years yeah and there's really a a skill set to it too like you're moving people around oh yeah it's not just making sure they're taking their medicine and eating no like you're literally physically having to assist them because they don't have mobility a lot of times absolutely you know and um i did go to cna school Mm -hmm. for my nursing assistant um license which i I did get, um, but I never used it mm-hmm. because um, when we did clinicals, you know, so you would do all your written stuff mm-hmm. and like get to know about the various diseases and get all these skill sets. Mm-hmm. And then they would take you into a formal setting mm-hmm. and you get uh, patients that you had to you know, turn down beds and shower them and transfer them and whatnot Mm -hmm. and in the actual clinical setting. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it's just not what I'm into, mm-hmm. you know, like I. So what's the difference between caregiving and working in a CNA? Is it just the <laughs> setting, one being clinical, one being in their household? So, yeah, it's the setting. And also uh, when you're in a clinical setting, it's one one CNA per four or five patients that you work with. And Mm -hmm. so everything is very, very about time management. It's about hurrying up and getting one done so you can go on to another. And it's just, it's almost like an assembly line. Right. And then there's... rotation. Exactly. And I just felt like they're not getting accurate care, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as what I wanted to give them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, you're getting them up, you're showering them, you're getting them dressed, but there's no real connection. It's, Mm -hmm. it for me was like a super sterile environment. Right, very Um, disconnected. Very disconnected. But it's not that you're getting to know these people. Exactly. So it's a less formal, you don't get to know your people. You're just exactly. kind of making sure everybody's clean mm-hmm. and getting their meds and moving yeah, on. Which is great if that's what you want to do. But um, yeah, it's just not what I was interested in. I thought I was going to be interested, mm-hmm. but um, I wasn't. You know, it's just not the kind of care I want to provide. So they're Um, similar in what you do, but you're doing more of a one-on-one as a caregiver. It's one-on-one. It's very um, geared towards the specific client. You know, it's um, more detail-oriented. It's more shaped for that client's personal needs and less like, okay, I need to hurry up and get this done because I have three other patients 
patience that right. I need to get ready for the day or, yeah. you know, different activities. It and it sounds uh, like it's more of a job and not as much of a relationship. Yes, absolutely. You yeah, you nailed you nailed it right on the head. Um, and again, that's great if you want to work in a hospital setting. Mm-hmm. I mean, those people work extremely hard. It's nothing against them. It's just wasn't wasn't what I wanted, you know? Um, And so, yeah, I work in these people's homes, you know, and um, it's all geared towards their personal needs. And um, yeah, it's great because you get to know them, you form a bond, you know, I consider us friends, you know, um, with it still being professional, you know, Mm -hmm. um, of course there's always that professional balance where you, you're friends, but it's still work and it can get a little skewed at times. Well, you got to keep your boundaries. Exactly. I feel like that's important with any kind of professional relationship, even if it gets, you know, intimate in that way where Mm -hmm. you're connected and you're close, but you still have to keep personal boundaries. Yes, absolutely. I could see how you could potentially lose yourself in in their needs when they're so used to you Mm -hmm. doing so much for them. Yeah. You still have to have like some kind of boundaries. Exactly, yeah. And I think, excuse me, I think for me, that's definitely one of the things, you Mm -hmm. know, I learned in this profession, you know, because it doesn't come with a handbook, you know, every thing I've learned, I've learned on the job, Mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, cooking and doing laundry and hygiene care is all very easy. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there's, you know, stuff like I learned how to uh, give somebody insulin mm-hmm. on the job. You know, mm-hmm. I learned how to um, put a catheter in mm-hmm. on the job, you know, okay. which is just stuff. I was just like, well, and that's pretty intense stuff. Yeah. Too. <laughs> I was just like, you need me to do what? Mm-hmm. Um, if you can explain it, I will try, you right, know? Right. And so, yeah, it's just, <clears throat> yeah, I love it. So I it love it. It's like it's always evolving, but it's almost been part of a saving grace for you too absolutely by being able and i could see how taking that away you know then you're left with again you know maybe a little bit of of internal like not being able to give Mm -hmm. like you're used to which is almost therapeutic it seems like absolutely therapeutic in your life to find a way to give back to not just a different community but just a humanity in a way Mm -hmm. right yeah and i mean that was the thing that was so hard for me during the pandemic Mm -hmm. is because i didn't get prenatal care Mm -hmm. because i was with my parents and um Mm -hmm those kind of things weren't available to us Mm -hmm. um i have a super low immune system and Mm -hmm. so when the pandemic hit um of course my job was still up and running because you know these this specific community doesn't get a day off from being disabled they're disabled you know regardless of anything that's happening i was pulled out of work and um by my doctor and i was told to stay home you know Mm -hmm. and 
for the first week or two weeks, I was like, great, this is great. I can sleep in. I can, you know. All of us felt that way. Yeah. We it was like, just like, a little cool. break. Yeah. Extended like, weekend. Yeah. Go read a book, you know, just relax. And then, um, yeah, I really, really felt like I lost a huge part of my identity, you know, being home and not being able to work yeah. with my clients. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a huge part of who I am. And having that taken away was just such a shock because yeah. I didn't even realize how much of my identity is wrapped up in my job. Or maybe even why. Yeah. Why it's so good for you. Right. You yeah. know, and it really, really is such a blessing to go to somebody's house and not have to think about your own stuff mm -hmm. for 12 hours, you know, and just being able to focus on them and what they need, you mm -hmm. know, and what, how you can best serve them. Mm -hmm. So the pandemic, I was suddenly at home. My husband was still working because he works from home. So his routine mm -hmm. was very much the same. And I was just sort of like, what now yeah. you know um and it really took a toll i think the pandemic was really hard on you know well, a lot of people a lot of people yeah. i would want to say most people right you know to different a lot of degrees. people had to face things that maybe they were maybe they're in different kinds of work and different positions mm -hmm. but I think a lot of people had to face things that maybe they were suppressing by working a lot or by certain habits. And not that it's not a beautiful thing to be giving and go to a work and focus on another person. Right. But like you said, there can be the other side of it where then you're not looking at your own stuff. Exactly. And maybe you hadn't been doing that for a long time. Yeah. And there's a big, you know, community of people who are leaving their jobs now because mm -hmm. they didn't realize, oh my God, I'm miserable here, or they weren't willing to face it. Right. Right. You know, so there's been so many shifts and in, in perspective and consciousness for people mm -hmm. you're one example of it that even though it was beautiful what you were doing like you really had to kind of look at yourself in a whole new way when you yeah. were able to do it because you've been doing it for what 15 years something like something that? like that and yeah from where you were before that when you got into it you were overcoming some demons mm -hmm. but you maybe hadn't fully gone through the entire yeah process. no I mean for me I definitely started getting very depressed and very um, anxious a lot. And um, I wound up, you know, through the course of 16 months, um, really relapsing and hitting a new spiritual low and dragging my husband through it. You know, my husband has long-term sobriety and... Um, and he's a great person. And he's I a mean, great like person. Said, he's one of my best friends. He's, I cherish, cherish you know, our relationship. such a good person. Yeah. And I just um, really unraveled quickly, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely something that we both needed to deal with. Um, and um, yeah, I ended up having to check myself back into rehab mm -hmm. because, sorry about that. Okay. Because um, it just got unmanageable you right. know it was definitely like I said a new spiritual low mm -hmm. where I was just at the point where I was like I'm gonna lose my marriage I'm gonna lose my job mm -hmm. I could die like this is not mm -hmm. 
great at all like this is a lot of people though you are not alone i think that you're just one of the people that's willing to talk about it and be open about the things that and the struggles that you had absolutely i mean i heard a statistic that um alcohol sales were up Mm -hmm. oh yeah uh weed sales were uh suicide Mm -hmm. uh rates were up, Mm -hmm. domestic violence rates were up, Mm -hmm. just a lot of disturbances, you know? Um, And again, when you're ripped from a routine, maybe that routine was your saving grace in a lot of ways, but did you really do the work? Did you really do, and not just you in particular, but people in general? You know, it's easy to kind of like keep things, mm-hmm. you know, and steady over, for yeah. a while. Like, okay, I'm in a good place right now. But when you really talk about healing and when you really talk about evolving, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you have to go through a lot of painful stuff. Absolutely. And as a society, you know, when we were in the grind before the pandemic, um, you know, everybody was just like in a reaction, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, time to go to work, time to do this activity, time to, you know, do this, do this, do this, social time, going out here. Whatever, mm. like it was much more fast paced. Absolutely. So to stop that <clears throat> roller coaster for a minute, and everybody had to take a look at who they really were on right? a different level. Yeah. You know, um, I'm a very routine oriented person. Like I told you the other day, I am so routine oriented. I drive to work mm-hmm. the exact same way this every is day. I switch lanes. This is when I turn my blinker off. Yes. <laughs> I mean, to that degree. Yeah. Like, I just am very much a creature of habit. Um, and it brings some stability in my life. Yeah, and I'm really healthy. Yeah. To have that. Yeah. Um, so being ripped from my normal routine, I was exactly, I was mm-hmm. like left to deal with my own issues and my own head, which. Mm-hmm aren't great places at times you know you had had come so far but given your history i mean there was just more healing to be absolutely i mean it's a lifelong thing oh yeah people to be growing evolving picking themselves apart to grow for sure it's lifelong it just so happens that you know the the circumstances it was like your perfect storm right which was a perfect storm for a lot of people right yeah absolutely um you know so i went back to rehab Mm -hmm. and i was super grateful that you know as soon as i called they said yes Mm -hmm. we have a bed come on back it all kind of lined up it all kind of lined up you know and it's it was a facility i had been to before um i mentioned that i went to rehab when i was a teenager but Mm -hmm. um prior to this rehab stay i had gone to rehab three times um in total before this because it is a lifelong thing and um you know a lot of people struggle and i you know am not above that i've definitely had my fair share of substance abuse issues you know which well, that's the nature of addiction right it's not a thing that you're ever a hundred percent away from absolutely Sometimes it changes you know forms but mm-hmm. you know i mean it's a lifelong thing a therapeutic thing that you mm-hmm. have to manage right and given you know the situation i was born into where mm-hmm. you know both of my parents were addicts mm-hmm. 
um, it's not surprising that um, I would have those issues. But I, yeah, I was just really grateful. I called and I said, look, I need help. I need to come back. You know, I knew the director of the program um, really well. And she was like, look, we have a bed. Come on back, you know? Right, and yeah. so I left that day, you know, I just packed what I could. I was pretty messed up at the time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I went back to rehab and I stayed 60 days. It was a 30 day program, but I stayed 60 days because 30 days is just, it's not enough. Right. You know, you're just, just barely starting to think straight, you know, getting everything out of your system. Exactly. Like, you know, thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I definitely, you know, wanted this to be the last time, mm -hmm. you know, it was my mantra. Like, this is my last time. Right. I need to get everything I can, you know, out of it. So well, really taking it more seriously now. I mean, you think about it. The last time you had gone through a treatment center, you know, the age you were at and then the age you're at now, it's mm -hmm. like you look at life differently. Absolutely. Phases, yeah. Right? And I think it, it took an incredible amount of bravery to see or to say to your husband, like, I've been struggling with this and yeah. be honest about it because the shame that goes along with that and I remember when you had reached out to me mm -hmm. and I was like oh my gosh I'm heartbroken right yeah but I was like it's not my place to mm -hmm. you know go and tell Pete that that was going of on course. but you were so supportive yeah and I you know, know it was and I know that it was that you must have been in so much pain and I understood because everything that was going on in the world that you know that you had felt the need to self-medicate and I know how addiction works it's right. like very um you know very much like a momentum disease like very start much the momentum yes. and it just builds and builds and builds mm -hmm. so I mean I could see how that would happen it's not that you know there's no um oh well that's you know it's not a bad thing like no you right. definitely want to take a look at that and and get treatment but I'm not going to judge you for it because it happens to people every day right you know it may not be one substance or it may be an activity. I mean, there's so many ways there's people so fall many ways. into these, these um, cycles. Yeah. And then before it, it's like a crazy monster before they know it. And then they're like, oh my gosh, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm out of it, mm -hmm. I can definitely look back and be like, that's when it started. That's when I started giving myself little permissions. Yeah. And then it got bigger and mm -hmm. bigger and bigger. And then hit uh, unmanageability, right. insanity, desperation, and then, you know, misery. And that misery, I was like, I would like to get off this ride mm -hmm. and have myself back, you well, know? Well, new lessons for you, too. Oh, absolutely. now you see before, you know, you were just getting into adulthood. Mm -hmm. Now you're an adult, you have a career, you have a husband, mm -hmm. and what does it look like to manage that and maybe some uncomfortable emotions? Right. Yeah. You know, and really having more freedom too. like, and what are my triggers mm -hmm. and what are the things that make me act out? Because we act out different when we're younger than we do when we're a little bit older. Oh right? God. Yeah. Like, and so oh, we God. may not even yeah. realize like, oh my gosh, I'm acting out mm -hmm. because it looks different when you're in a different phase of life. Yes. So, but completely, it sounds completely. like you learned a lot about yourself. Oh that, yeah. That you whole know, experience. Every time I go to rehab I learn more about myself um 
I think that I don't want to say everybody can benefit from rehab, but I think everybody can benefit from some sort of um, like a recovery program, like a therapeutic Mm -hmm. where you really look at yourself, regardless of like, Mm -hmm. you know, what your life looks like or what addictions you have or have not. Yeah, Um, because some people just hide it better. Yeah. You know, I mean, it can manifest in a lot of ways, right? Like shopping or, you know, sex addiction. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, lots of marriages that struggle with those kinds of things. They just don't talk about it. You know, they have, you know, their husbands are addicted to porn or, you know, like the wife is out. She can't stop, you know, spending all of their money and Mm -hmm. they're in debt up to their eyeballs. I mean, there's so many different ways that, um, I mean, of course you can talk about food, you know, people being overweight. That's definitely along the same lines too. So, but what are we doing when we're when we're acting out and right. overusing something? Right. It's no, a suppression I, of something. Yeah, and I feel like it's a way of reaching for something that makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of like you said, whatever it is. <clears throat> um, but when you find healthy things that make you feel good to replace them, yes. you know, if you have a habit, it's like you have to replace that habit with another habit. Absolutely. You can't just like expect it to <clears throat> completely go away. Mm-hmm. If you like, you're saying routines, you have a routine of doing xyz and then you're like okay i'm gonna take that out then you have a time block what are you gonna do with that time block right you have to have something that kind of replaces that right right absolutely like um for me right now you know since i am clean my addiction has taken form in my eating now you know i've um I had no holds bar when I was in rehab. I was like, look, I have too much other stuff. I'm going to eat that ice cream. I'm going to eat this. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we would do movie night, all sorts of snacks, everything. I wasn't concerned. But now that I'm out of the program and Mm -hmm. I'm back into my routine of going to CrossFit and, Mm -hmm. you know, working and trying to be a good wife and a good daughter and a good stepmom and all this various stuff, I've noticed that when I get upset or even when I want to celebrate, you know, I'm like, woohoo, I'm going to get that donut. I'm going to eat those French fries, Mm. you know? So it's really a remarkable thing Mm. to see how you can really replace one addiction for another, you know? So that's what I'm dealing with right now. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that's great. You're back to work. Absolutely. And you're doing um, CrossFit again. Yes. So yes. those are two really healthy habits. And with work, how is that getting back into it after the pandemic, post post pandemic work? Um, is it any different? I mean, other than it was an interesting transition to go from being in five or six groups a day, mm-hmm. uh, talking about your stuff listening to other people talking about their stuff, learning about addiction and behavior issues and whatnot, Mm -hmm. to going back to work, um, not just physically, but also, you know, mentally. Um, It was was such a shift in gears. Um, But by that time, I was really ready, you know? I really... 
you know, had felt like I had taken away what I needed from the program and I was ready to, you know, work with the sponsor and go to 12 step meetings and not be in such an isolated rehab bubble because mm-hmm. rehab really easy to stay clean in. You well, know, you're, yeah, you're taken away from everything that might be a trigger. Right. And I know that might sound arrogant because rehab is not easy. I don't want to mm-hmm. portray it to be this easy thing. But because, yeah, because you're in a bubble, you know, and you have people there you can talk to Mm -hmm. anytime you want, you know, like I was at that staff office every day with, I need to bench or blah, blah, you know, like I really (laughs) took advantage of everybody being there. That's good though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You were um, there just to hide out. You were there to like let it out and yes. rip that band-aid and exactly. Um, so going from that back to um to work into regular life, um, it was a little tricky mm-hmm. um just to, you know, get back into a routine of like waking up and going to work and, you know, interacting with other people that weren't wasn't such a recovery based, mm-hmm. you know, thing. Um but it's good. It's been really good. I feel more focused. You know, mm-hmm. I have a lot more to do because I I did add 12 step meetings and 12 mm-hmm. steps into the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, that keeps the therapy going. It keeps the therapy you know, going and, and it forget. keeps me in check. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm definitely one of those people that's sponge like, you mm-hmm. know, so I need to be around like minded people to keep myself on track. You yeah. know, um, it's so easy for me to fall into whatever crowd I'm in. Mm -hmm. And I think that that growing up was a survival tactic. Right. That has- million kind of behavior. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That I don't necessarily need as an adult, but I need to be aware of it. Absolutely. You know. And consciously choosing who you're surrounding yourself with. Yes. You know, because it's easy, like maybe as a teen to be like, well, you know, I'm in with this crowd and, mm-hmm. and then, oh, well, this crowd does this. And right. They're kind of just flowing with it. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, as an adult making those choices, like, oh, I just met this person. Do I really want to hang out with them? Right. You know, are they the healthiest person? Exactly. Because they say you're a product of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. So, you know, when you look at that. Who am I spending the most time and what are they doing with their life? What is their energy? What is their focus? You know, you make those decisions a little more consciously um, when you're making the conscious decision that what you want to do with yourself. Right? Yes. You want to be in a healing path and maybe be around people who are wanting to be on healing paths with you. Right. No, yeah, definitely. So definitely embrace that and just trying to be better than I was yesterday, you know? And I mean, I make plenty of mistakes, you know? And everybody makes mistakes. You know? um, But you should be really proud of yourself, though. And I'm proud of you. you. Like, I'm happy for you. I love you. And I'm, I'm, I want, I'm glad that we did this podcast today because I feel like, I feel like, you know, as people, we always like 
you know, think maybe, oh, I can't believe this happened. But when you look at the whole story, sometimes we see like, okay, you know, this is my life path. And sometimes X, Y, Z needs to happen to bring me to this place. And um, you're in a new part of your journey. So talking about it with you is like, because I haven't seen you. It's a pandemic. We haven't seen each other. Like we, you know, you live in San Francisco. I'm out in Merced. Mm -hmm. So being able to visit again it's like we lost a whole year it feels like feels you know, like forever I know it feels like it's been so long but mm-hmm. not at the same time yeah not in actual hours. yeah you come here and then I feel like oh yeah she's visiting just like you used to right like, yeah then. it's just we just picked up where we left <laughs> off so much life has happened in yes between, and so many you know so much growth has happened in between and and so I just on wanted, your end as well you know yeah you have my all life is small. always shifting and, and, and changing and evolving definitely but I just wanted to do this though to celebrate you know the the things that you've gone through because I think you should be celebrated for it you know it's easy to uh look at oh well you know I might have fucked up in this area right but it's like you know look at where you're at right now and the things that you do like you're a person who should be celebrated so oh well I love you you. thank you so much you did this we're gonna wrap it up okay Uh, but thank you so much for doing well thank you so much for having me and suggesting it it was so fun (laughs) yeah that was fun and it went really quick this hour went really oh wow Thank you, Starbucks. So we're going to go ahead and sign out. Thanks again for being a part of it. My pleasure. (laughs) That was fun.